Okay, um, a month ago I took a week off and um, then of course David took two weeks and that was good and then we had Easter so it's been a little while but um, we are in Exodus. I was really glad David was able to do what he did. I mentioned that some last week um, when I, right before David came up, I remember David teaching on that. I don't know when, it was early on. And in my mind, the law had multiple parts. It had the ceremonial, the civil, the uh, moral law, the dietary laws. And my job when I read the law was to slice and dice it and to pull out the ceremonial and the civil and the dietary laws and just leave that little part called the moral law. And that was just the way that I approached it. That's the way that I was taught, uh, or either that or I came up with that on my own. I don't know, but that's the way that I understood it. And when David talked about the law being a singular, it's one thing, and then as you go through the, the Bible, be a Berean, go through the Bible, and you realize that Paul always talks about the law as the law. Paul did not see the law as multiple parts. Um, and, and if he didn't, and he's the one who's writing that we're no longer under the law, then he's not di slicing and dicing it. And that thought was seminal for me. That, that began a transformation in my thinking. So I wanted David to present that to you. And I was really glad he got the full two weeks to do it because those of you who are here for both of them, if not, he should have been taped last week. You may want to listen to that as well because... Um, I think it's important, and I have tried as we go through Exodus um, to deal with it that way, even through the Ten Commandments. Um, the Ten Commandments, of course, are all restated in the New Testament with the exception of the Sabbath. And the principle on the Sabbath is that we all have entered into the Sabbath rest. Um, we, we, we do not have to, we're not working anymore for our for our salvation. Well, we've got to be careful. We'll go on from that. But the, the, um, the, the principle is important. There's going to be something in the law. There's an informative part, a teaching function. There's a condemning function, as David said. But the law should point us to Christ, and the law should expand our understanding of our salvation, and there will be principles in there that give us a better understanding who God is. So, as we hit the passage that we're gonna do this morning, and I actually was gonna take a longer section, but I thought, you know what, let's apply what David taught and see how that fits into this section. Because we have an interesting passage of scripture, one that we would never even consider doing. Um, and that is starting in Exodus 23, um, actually starting in verse 28, which is where we had left off. Uh, the section we're in, chapter 22, um, starting at about verse uh, 16 down through the middle of chapter 23 is a section that deals with, my Bible says, laws about social justice. And when I started teaching on, I said, these are laws that form a well-ordered society. There's some that deal with you and your neighbor, but this is principles for a well-ordered society. And, um, and so there's things in there about money lending and how you should treat strangers, which makes for a compassionate society and a caring society and, and how um, 
women should, or what happens if a, a man seduces a woman and so on. All of those are in there. Starting at verse 28, it says, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of uh, your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. Okay. Um, I doubt if for us any of those laws actually function in our life. Uh, anybody give their firstborn son to the Lord? Other than just saying this child belongs to you? I, I don't think so. We, we give all of our children to the Lord. Um, anybody take the firstborn animal that comes and sacrifice that to the Lord? No, we don't think about it. Even those of you who have oxen, and well, nobody has oxen, sheep and cattle and whatever, we don't do that. Um, the, the other one we probably do, I doubt if any of us would eat a beast that was torn in the field, but most of us don't eat beasts that come out of the field anyway, right? We, um, we go to the store and we buy our meat. So these are passages that we could look at and say, okay, what's the, what's the big deal? What I want to do is ask, how does it apply to us as believers? How does this point forward to our salvation? What does this reveal to us about how we should live? And, and I think there's actually a lot in here. Um, uh, beginning in verse 28, I just want to mention that verse, you shall not revile God. I think that would be really important in Israel. Uh, nor curse a ruler of your people. And um, it's not where I want to focus my attention, but what's interesting is that Paul quotes this passage. I believe it's in Acts 23. I, I I think I have it written down, but I think I can remember. Jump over to Acts 23. Paul is um, before the Jews. Yeah, Acts chapter 23. Um, and says, and looking intently, starting in verse 1, Paul is being interrogated before the council. Uh, and he says, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you ordered me to be struck. Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? He didn't know it was Ananias. And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So Paul quotes that at this point. And he says, I, I did wrong. I, I reviled a, a high priest, and I should not have done that. So he apologizes at that point. <clears throat> I, I don't want to focus on verse 28. I want to go on to verse 29. Um, it says, we're to offer up, we're to offer up the first of our presses, the over outflow of your presses. So we're to be uh, offering to the Lord. Uh, but then it talks about firstborn sons. The firstborn of your son you shall give to me and the firstborn of all the animals. 
Now, I want you to be thinking, why would that be the case? Why would they be offering their firstborn sons to the Lord? Um, let's make one thing clear before we start. There's, reason, there's, a reason, there's a bad reason that you could come up with, and that is that somehow the firstborn is most important. I think Genesis does a really good job of convincing us that God is not impressed with the firstborn, right? So who's the firstborn son of all time? Cain, but Abel is the righteous one. And then Seth becomes after that. Cain is rejected. Um, and then, of course, we have Abraham with Ishmael and Isaac. And Isaac is accepted and Ishmael is rejected. And you can say, well, that's because of Hagar and that whole incident. So just to make the point absolutely clear, we have Isaac has Jacob and Esau, twins born at the same time from the same mother. And God says, Jacob, I loved, Esau I hated. Um, he, he, he makes a distinction. He chooses uh, anything special in Jacob's character that would make him especially attractive to God. No, he's the deceiver. He's one who spends his whole life fighting against God. And in fact, his one claim to fame is that when he fights with God, he doesn't let go. He wrestles, he hangs on until he gets the blessing. And then who's Jacob's firstborn? A little harder question. Reuben. Is it Reuben? And then you have Reuben, yeah, Simeon and Levi, and then Judah. Who's the most important there? Judah. Judah. Uh, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi are all rejected as being sort of the head of the family. So this isn't because the firstborn is better. Sorry, those of you who are firstborns. And by the way, it's firstborn male, actually. Um, I don't know about the animals, but about uh, among the, um, the people, it's firstborn. I, I was a firstborn, so firstborn son. So that's kind of disappointing to me that there's not something special about us, but, um, but uh, it, it isn't. So the question is, why? Why is the firstborn to be offered? Think hard. Something really important happens in... In, in Israel, in their history. Just happened, actually. The Passover. the Passover, exactly. Go back to Exodus chapter 4. <clears throat> and Exodus 4, verse 21. And it says, The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Um, there's a principle here, and that is that God has set Israel aside for himself, calls him the firstborn son or the preeminent. Um, he's not the first nation, but he is the one that God chooses. And then, of course, we understand what happens at the Passover. So God is telling Pharaoh right now, you mess with my firstborn son and I will take your firstborn son. So let's review the Passover. Passover. The last plague, God says, 
You better put blood on the doorpost and the lentil from the Passover lamb, and then the firstborn son is, is protected. I will pass over the firstborn son. But if you don't, the firstborn sons die. Firstborn of what? All the children, all the people, and all of their, all their livestock. And what God is doing is saying, those people are, I'm going to judge them. But here's an interesting question. Why did they have, if, if God's just going to take the Egyptians, why did they have to put the blood on the doorpost and the lentil? Doesn't God know who the uh, Israelite children are? Was that something they had to do? Okay. See, I, I, what would happen if a um, if a Israelite had not put up the blood and the on the doorpost? It would lose the children. In other words, uh, God's judgment is over the entire land. The firstborn would have been under the same judgment of Israel unless they were protected by the blood of the, of the lamb. Um, now, I'm sure your mind is already going ahead, but think of this in terms of us. But before we do that, I just want to mention something. David mentioned that not all the laws in the Old Testament were, were actually practiced. The Old Testament actually changed. This was a law that there were, there were times where his laws changed. This one changed. Do you know that they never did this? It, it would have been really impractical. Um, it, it would have been impractical because there, there was no temple, there was no place to send the children. So where do you send your firstborn son? Uh, it'd be one thing if you had a big monastery or a big school that you could send them to, but they didn't have that. Uh, by the way, we all understand that the firstborn of the, the livestock, that they don't go to the firstborn livestock farm and live a happy life there, right? They are sacrificed. They're taken away on the eighth day and they are sacrificed. You can find that in Leviticus. Um, so the firstborn are killed of the animals, but the firstborn of the people are set aside for God. Um, well, God changes this law if you go to Numbers chapter 3. <clears throat> um, there's a real interesting thing that God does, and that is in uh, Numbers 3, starting at verse 40. Actually, if you go back to 39, there's an important number. It says, um, all those listed among the Levites who Moses the er Aaron, that Moses and Aaron listed at the commandment of the Lord by clans, all the males from month month old and upward were 22,000. So there were 22,000 Levite um, males. And then God goes through and he has them number the firstborn males of the people of Israel from a month old and upward. And if you jump down to verse 43, that number is 22,273. So it's really close. There's 22,000 Levites, 22,000 273 firstborns and God says in verse 45 take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel and the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle the Levites shall be mine I am the Lord and as the redemption price for the 273 of the firstborn of the people of Israel 
um, over and above the number of male Levites, you shall take five shekels per head. You shall take them according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And so it says down in verse 50 that 1,365 shekels were put in as redemption money. Um, so God says there's 22,000 Levites, there's 22,273 firstborns. It's pretty close, but it's not perfect. So we take five shekels for every one of the firstborn that's over and we put that in and now we're even. And the Levites were replaced with the firstborns. So God calls those people aside for himself to be the priests, okay? Now, what's the application for us? Is there one? Well, what is Christ to us? He's definitely a firstborn. He's preeminent over all creation. Um, when, when did Jesus die? On the Passover. Um, Jesus Christ is sacrificed. And in, uh, let me see if I have the verse here. 1 Corinthians 5, jump over to 1 Corinthians 5. <clears throat> Paul is talking to them um, about sin, actually. And he's talking to them about um, some of the things that are taking place. And if you just back up in the chapter, the beginning of the chapter, it's a gross sexual immorality that's present in the church. A man has taken his father's wife. So a man has married his stepmother and the church isn't doing anything about it. And they're kind of boasting in their liberty. And Paul says in verse six, uh, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The picture in the Old Testament is that God passes over and there are some that were under judgment, <laughs> but because of the blood of the lamb, they were passed over. In the New Testament, every one of us is under judgment, right? See, if you're second born in Israel, you're fine. But if you were first born, you were under the judgment. And God, through the Passover lamb, passes over that sin. Every one of us is a firstborn. okay? Those of you who aren't firstborn, you need to wrap your mind around that. Every one of us is a firstborn because every one of us was under the judgment of the firstborn. Uh, every one of us is one that God says that one will die if the Passover lamb, if the blood of the lamb is not applied to them. And the blood of the lamb is applied to us at the cross. So when you read this passage, there's something much deeper here. It's not our firstborn that needs to be consecrated to the Lord, it's us that need to be consecrated to the Lord. And, and, and Paul mentions that in this passage. Notice what he says. He says, uh, do you not, or um, 
cleanse out the old leaven, this is in verse 7, that you may be a new uh, lump as you really are unleavened. What does leaven stand for? It's sin. You really are unleavened. That's because your righteousness now is Christ's righteousness. You're unleavened, but you're living like you have leaven. Clean out the old and live for God. We're to be set aside for him. So when we read that passage, we'd say, well, we never give our firstborn to the Lord. No, that's not the point of it. We're to be giving ourselves to the Lord. Our our life is consecrated to the Lord because of what his son did on the cross. Oh, 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 oh. You mean, why does he mention unleavened? Yeah, why does Paul mention that? What is it, what's he, what's Do you know, Rod, or are you just trying to pump that out of me? I'm just curious. Are you going to turn the tables on me? No, I was just curious. I'm curious if you know. I have no idea what I think it is, but, but I, I'm... Yeah, I'm so glad you said that, because I just slipped, that just kind of slipped over. Um, there's the Passover, and immediately after the Passover, there's the... Well, there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Feast of Unleavened Bread, there's no leaven in the house for an entire week. Um, and it's, we're going to study it, but it follows right after. And so the picture is that Christ is sacrificed, and therefore um, we live lives that are without sin. Uh, so so the, the Unleavened Bread, that feast comes after. And of course it came because they were to, they made the, they didn't have time for their bread to rise, so they ate unleavened bread at the Passover, and then they eat, ate unleavened bread for a week afterwards. But Paul, when Paul says that in here, Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us, therefore let us celebrate the feast, it means to live as people who have no leaven, to live as people who are, are um, without sin. So, interesting picture. Okay, are we good? All right, let's go back because there's a second part to this passage. So back to Genesis chapter Exodus. Thank you. Uh, Genesis is quite different. Um, Verse 33 says, you shall be, so the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. No, we are to be given to him. Uh, You shall do the same with your oxen and sheep. That's because the oxen and sheep were under the judgment as well. Um, seven days will be with you on the eighth days you shall give it to me you shall be consecrated to me what does consecrated mean set apart apart as holy Uh, he's talking to the entire nation and he says therefore you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field you shall throw it to the dogs now like I said I would have no trouble obeying this law If I found a beast torn in the fields, I would leave it to the dogs. But let's put ourselves back in their time frame. Um, These are people who are living hand to mouth, right? Uh, There probably isn't a whole lot of meat in their diet. Um, Because you had animals, but you weren't having a lamb sacrificing, uh, butchering a lamb every day for dinner, unless you were probably wealthy. So, So you don't have much meat. Uh, by the way, when it says a beast that's torn, that doesn't necessarily mean some wild beast. Um, I'm not a farmer, but my, my brother raises chickens, and it's not uncommon for a raccoon or a 
something to get into that hen house and kill a bunch of chickens, right? My guess is that there's a bunch of your aunt, you come out one morning and a, a lamb has been killed. Well, what are you gonna do with that lamb? Well, in every other culture around, what are you gonna do? You're gonna butcher it and you're gonna eat it, but not the Israelites, why not? Because they have special rules about how you prepare animals and you have to drain the blood because the life is in the blood. You have to drain that blood out. And so you take this lamb, which could be dinner for several days, right? For your family and you throw it out into the field. And God says, you do that because you are consecrated to me. You're holy to me. Um, Rod. I was just going to mention that the, the reason a, a, a animal torn in the field would not be edible is because the blood had not been properly pumped out of it. Exactly. It, ha- it was not. And, and even today when they kill animals, they stun it and slit its throat and the heart continues to pump the blood out of the Throat and therefore it's drained out of the body in that fashion. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for the butchering techniques. <laughs> that, that, uh, that helped a lot. Uh, fortunately, we're, yeah, okay. Um, all right. Now, the, the interesting thing is it says, You are consecrated to me. He's talking to the Israelite people. You're consecrated to me. And, and we don't obey that law anymore. Um, you know, if, if you did find an animal torn in the field and you decided to eat it, you would not be violating God's law. What it did is it made them quite different from the people around them. There were a lot of things. David mentioned this. The law affected every aspect of their life and it made them understand that they were set apart and holy to the Lord. Um, I, I want you to jump back to Exodus 19. Exodus chapter 19. Um, Paul is is talking uh, to them right before Mount Sinai. That takes place in chapter 20. Actually, Moses goes up onto Sinai in chapter 19. And he says in verse four, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. People of Israel were set apart as a a treasured possession and a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Um, With a condition. What's the condition? You keep the covenant, you obey, you obey. Um, This law about not eating meat is one of the ones that sets them apart as being a different sort of nation, holy nation, it's different to the Lord. Now, go over to the New Testament. First Peter, um, which we studied not that long ago. Um, First Peter chapter, (coughs) chapter two. starting at verse one. Well, we'll come back to verse one. Um, Verse four says, as you come to him, a living stone 
rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in, in him will not be put to shame. Um, so the honor is for you who believe, but for you who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, talking to those of us who believe, and by the way, before we get to that, notice that the distinction is what you do with Christ. Is he the cornerstone or is he rejected? Do you put your faith in Jesus Christ or do you reject him? That's the big dividing line. And Paul then says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have Receive mercy. These are the exact same words that are spoken. You're a treasured possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Why? Because we keep his covenant? No, because we accept Jesus Christ as the, as the rock. Because we accept what Christ has done for us. Um, our salvation is not based on our uh, conditional obedience. It's based upon what we placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Our righteousness is not dependent upon, obviously we know that, our works, it's dependent upon what Christ has done. However, what should be the effect? It should be such that our lives are consecrated to the Lord, and by the way, it makes us a peculiar people. We are just or we should be just as peculiar to the world as Israel was to its neighbors. Nobody's gonna look at us and say, oh, they don't eat meat that got torn in the field. But there should be, our lives should be such that it is a, a peculiarity to the people around us. Um, and you see that in the rest of Peter as you go. Um, Look at verse 11. Behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the pleasures of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. And if you keep going, and I don't know if you remember as we went through 1 Peter, this was the whole point of 1 Peter was everything about our lives should look different than the world around us. Um, when they go to accuse us, it should be like Daniel. The only thing they can find is things pertaining to our God. Um, now, we see the, the world around us where they're saying, well, if you don't accept the entire homosexual gay agenda, you're haters and you're evil and you're wicked. And we're seeing good be called evil and evil be good, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Our character should be such that deep down inside they know that 
that, that, that something is wrong, or they've blinded themselves to the place where they're able to say it anyways, which could be. Keep going, though, in 1 Peter. We're not going to do the whole thing. But verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. By the way, that would take us back to do not revile <laughs> your leaders, you see? Uh, but, but as Christians, we're to live in relation to our government in a different way. We are a consecrated people. Um, and verse 15 says, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using freedom as a cover-up for everyone, but living as servants of God. Then it talks about servants uh, being subject to their masters, the, the relationship between husbands and wives, and so on. And all of it is in this context of we are a holy people, a consecrated nation. We have been set aside by God for God. Um, based upon what Christ has done. So you are a firstborn covered by the blood of the Lamb. You've been set aside for God. And our lives should reflect that. We're a consecrated people. We don't have to worry about what we eat, but we do are concerned about the way that we live because our goal is to live in such a way that it brings glory to God. So that is um, application from... Exodus chapter 22, and that's what David, I think, is talking about when he talks about going through uh, these passages. We can read over and say it doesn't apply to us, but this applies directly to us on a daily basis. Every single day, we should remember who we are and what God has done for us, and that we are purchased. And by the way, I know all of you know that, right? But it's there in the Old Testament. We've been purchased by God. We have been uh, passed over. We've been redeemed. And as a result, our life is dedicated to God, just like the firstborns were to him. And our lives should be different as a result. So any comments or questions before we end? I know we're a little early, which is unusual, but. Bernie. You know, you need to listen to David and um, get the last two weeks because that's exactly what David asked about, I mean, talked about. And the issue is that although we are no longer under the law, um, we don't, aren't asked to obey the law. We are under the law of Christ. And the laws about homosexuality are repeated very clearly in the New Testament. In fact, in some ways, um, stronger in the New Testament than even, I mean, I know in the Old Testament it says that you're to kill them, um, which by the way, we would not necessarily say is something that should be done now. And that's important to understand as well. But go back and listen to David's, uh, David, he actually addresses that. Um, last week, he had, or not last week, the week before Easter when he spoke, he addressed that. How do, when somebody throws that out, what do you do with it? And the answer is an, an understanding of the, the law, but that's a hard thing to explain. He has a much better answer than I, than I had. You, you're not gonna give them a theology lesson uh, uh, at that point, but. That's a, that's a favorite, how do you stand against adultery when you were wearing clothes of two different uh, fabrics? How do you stand against that when you were? Yeah. 
And that's where you would say we are no longer under the Old Testament law. However, in the New Testament, there are principles for godly living that are spelled out. And they, th those we would, we would obey because God has asked us to obey. We are not, we're, we're under the, we, we don't obey for the same reason, but there are things that we are asked and told to do. And, and there, there, you'll hear that sometimes, that Christianity isn't a bunch of do's and don'ts. And there's truth in that statement and there's false in that statement. There's truth in the statement in that we don't do or don't do things to earn favor with God, but we do or don't do things because we are consecrated people set aside for him. And, and he has mapped out for us or given to us in the New Testament and in the Old Testament principles for godly living. So. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and even even that may have, uh, but yeah, they they basically said you don't have to, you're not under the constraints of the law, which is Paul's argument all the way through the New Testament. Any other comments or questions before we're done? Okay, let's go ahead and pray.